formation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is back. The kicker. The kicker comes through. We're back. Welcome back to the Fire Tom Herman podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. We are recording tonight, Wednesday, November 4th. And since there's definitely nothing more interesting going on in the world right now, we figured you might as well throw together a podcast for this lovely community that we've got going right now. So, my name is Josh, here with Noah, and today we're talking about that big win over the former number six team in the country, Oklahoma State, and what that means for Texas's season as a whole, and just sort of what that really boils down to for Herman's job security, if it had any real effect or, or what we're going to be going through. But, Noah... How are you doing in this clearly very stress-free time? world is calm. Certainly doesn't feel like we're teetering on the precipice of insanity here, does it? Oh, man, I'm doing... Actually, I'm doing all right. I'm really tired, though. <laughs> uh, I did not get a whole lot of sleep last night as some of the results trickled in from the election. Um, and then all day today, I know that I've been kind of monitoring that pretty closely. Uh, and it's still not decided as we're recording and uh, who knows, it may still not be done by the time that the viewer or listener is listening to this after we've edited and released everything. But yeah, for at least the next half hour to an hour, we'll give everybody a little bit of a reprieve uh, from the insanity of, uh, of politics. And instead, you can just wallow in our Texas football mediocrity um, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe Just, Just the... the yeah, it's not it's not miserable. It's a big win. It is a really good win. So lots of good things to say today. Um, but you know, there's still a cap on the season. So I I think insanity for the real world is a good word for it because I think for Texas football it feels like we're ha- watching Tom Herman put to the test the definition of insanity, seemingly doing a lot of the same things over and over and over again, hoping for different results. But we can say this week that this insanity did lead to a different result, not a loss. In fact, a big win on the road in Stillwater, number six, Oklahoma State. Offense sputtered throughout the game. Typical Sam heroics. Defense, I think, played maybe not yards-wise, but in terms of their just ability to create havoc um, in the form of sacks and turnovers, their best game of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, I am kind of on the boat of believing that our defense is now better than our offense which no I don't think anybody would believe that before the season I almost want to call it a hot take but I really feel like in week three against OU it really it was in the oven and it was cooking and like you take it out of the oven after the game and it's really hot but then like week by week it just cools down a little bit more it's like last week would have been like the perfect time to take a bite uh and now it's just kind of like cold and starting to get stale um because I feel like most people would agree with that and it's not even high praise for our defense as much of it is really really poor play by the offense kind of across the board but yeah the the defense I guess if we're going to kind of start with the bright spot they've they've kind of been improving over the course of the season um, Oklahoma State isn't the best offense but you know there are no slouches over there they've got weapons for sure um, and we did a really good job I thought at limiting the run game which was kind of the foundation of being able to hold their offense and keep them in check yeah it definitely seemed to be a similar game plan to what we saw against oklahoma state last year which was shut down 
Chuba Hubbard and make Spencer Sanders beat you with his arm, primarily in the form of Thailand Wallace. And Thailand Wallace, to his credit, is absolutely good enough to make that work. And in a lot of ways, Thailand Wallace has basically built his career and his reputation as a receiver at Oklahoma State on big games against Texas. And, and this game was no, no exception to that rule. He had, what was it, like 150 yards on like eight catches or something like that, and maybe a pair of touchdowns. But he was dangerous, but we did enough to limit Chuba Hubbard to make Spencer Sanders have to make decisions with the ball. And to this point in his career, Spencer Sanders has proved himself to be turnover prone, and we capitalized on that this week. As a, as a Spurs fan, it kind of reminded me of the way that San Antonio used to play LeBron uh, back whenever they were meeting in the finals and stuff, which was basically, we're going to let LeBron get his, but we're going to take away all those outside shooters and all the role players, and we're going to make LeBron beat us by himself. Um, that's kind of what they did with Tylen Wallace throughout the day. Whenever it was kind of in, in crunch time and we really needed to stop, then we were willing to shade somebody over and give the cornerback some help. But otherwise... For a lot of the game, we just were willing to let them pick up yards here and there with Tylen Wallace while shutting down uh, Chuba Hubbard. They had a couple other receivers step up as well and have pretty good games. But I think that you kind of nailed it with the whole turnover-prone thing. Uh, Spencer Sanders does tend to have some of those, and the defense capitalized. And they didn't just force turnovers, but they forced turnovers early in series. And they had good returns, which set up the offense, which having four turnovers with generally really good field position, that is a game changer, you know, because you're not just taking points off the board from them. You're basically gifting the offense <laughs> points. Like the offense is doing its best not to score and the defense is just forcing it down their throat. <laughs> like you will score off this 15-yard line field position. So certainly the the MVP there. Yeah, well, I thought you were going to continue with that. Uh, certainly the MVP for the defense, I think is no surprise to anyone, Joseph Osai. Had a monster game, 12 tackles, 7 tackles for loss, 3 sacks, a forced fumble, a recovered fumble. And I think that forced fumble was really one of the most important plays outside of the the sack in overtime to end it, obviously. But right there before the half, Oklahoma State's trying to put a few more points on the board, take that momentum to halftime, absolutely crushes Spencer Sanders, gets Taquan Graham picking up the football, rumbling down the field, gets us into field goal range. We get three cheap points right before half, kind of get to take some of those goodwill, that good feeling into half. And that's that's so important. They talk about it a lot on on the, the broadcasts and a lot of other commentators like to discuss it uh, off, off broadcast, how important it is to go into halftime having scored right before half and all that momentum. And I think that that kind of play is one of those ones that really changed everything. It, it went from we might be down two possessions going into halftime with Oklahoma State getting the ball and all that momentum possibly being up three scores in the third quarter and instead flipped it to where we're down one score and we come out, make a pretty good stand in the third quarter, have a decent third quarter again, and as a result, end up winning a close game. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a really good point about the halftime swing because this offense isn't good enough to recover whenever they're down big although I say that and then maybe we're at our best whenever we're down big but <laughs> but I don't necessarily trust this offense to be able to put a lot of points on the board uh, so if you end up down early then that would have been a pretty precarious situation although I mean I guess I can't really say that too much since Sam has already shown the ability to 
really come through when the team has needed it. But Oklahoma State does have a much better defense than like Texas Tech. Uh, so it would have been much more difficult to actually make that comeback. Kind of on that note about the offense, I, I thought that really it's just issues with execution at this point in the season. I like the game plan actually that I saw from Herman and Yersich. I thought that uh, they were a little bit more creative with um, some of the motion they use pre-snap. It still is mostly just window dressing, but at least there was it seemed like there was some sort of attempt to actually involve it in the play. Uh, they attacked more of the middle. They highlighted Jake Smith. Those are both things that I've been calling for, I feel like, all season long. Um, and it just it still wasn't enough. So at that point, it's execution. You know, Sam struggled, uh, continues to regress this season compared to last year. Offensive line struggles, wide receiver struggles. It's kind of a mess. Yeah, you mentioned Jake Smith, and I think we talked about it um, at some length last week how important it would be to get him involved and how we felt like at least a small part of Sam's struggles is a lack of familiarity knowing to this point the inside receiver has always been an impact player in Tom Herman's offense um, since he's come to Texas you've had Reggie Hemphill in 2017 you had little Jordan in 2018 obviously Devin Duvernay last year all those guys were guys that Sam felt like he could lean on in a pinch because Jake Smith has been hurt, because Jordan Whittington has been hurt, we haven't had stability at that inside receiver. Not There's not that guy that Sam has that connection with. And I think we've seen enough, Like, and I think I said this last week, we've seen enough from Jake Smith to know he can be that guy. Now it's just a matter of getting those reps, getting that familiarity built up with Sam. And I'm hoping what started this week uh, against Oklahoma State, that they're going to be able to continue building on that. And maybe... I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where we're going to have the explosive offense we all thought we had after playing UTEP, but we can at least get to some some semblance of efficiency because Jake Smith is clearly our best receiver against man coverage. Defenses, like even, uh, what was it, the TCU game was the last one that Jake Smith played. There were so many times where Jake Smith opened things up for Brennan Eagles because the defense was so scared of what Jake Smith could do if he got free that they were doubling him up. So if we're able to keep getting him the ball, if it has to be the cheap little shallow cross, two-yard pass, and let him pick up eight yards, so be it. If, if Sam can have that security blanket on the field and Jake Smith in 75 80% of the snaps in the game, I think the offense is going to benefit tremendously from that. Mm -hmm. And talk about coming through in a pinch. Uh, when Sam's out there, fourth and seven, down by five, into the game, uh, four and a half minutes left, and Jake Smith beats his man one-on-one -on -one and continues to run his route all the way to the corner of the end zone. That's huge. It's something our receivers don't do all the time. Uh, but he was he was open, and he made it really easy for Sam to actually find him. Uh, so that was just a huge win, just like in terms of one rep that obviously stood out. Um, then Josh Moore did it in overtime uh, for the game winner. So... Yeah, there's there's definite promise with the wide receiver group. Uh, Brennan Eagles had a decent game. He had the one play where he was able to get behind everybody on the defense. So it's just a matter of doing that more consistently, I think, and then also allowing those things to really shine through in the game plan. Well, I think that there was a definite concerted effort to highlight Jake Smith in this game, and we haven't seen that consistently throughout the season. And Whenever you're in 12 personnel, obviously there's no slot receiver on the field for you to even try to do that with. So, yeah, it's. I feel like I've said this literally every single week, but the thing I'm going to be watching next week is the offensive game plan. Um, you know, because those quick passes 
are important whenever you're a playing with a really poor offensive line. So you need to get the ball out quickly and B whenever you have guys that can actually do something with the ball after the catch, like Jake Smith and they can get free quickly. So yeah, my, my stock in Jake Smith, I feel like has never been higher. Uh, I, I didn't sell it last season. I didn't sell it earlier this season. Um, so I'm going to ride that all the way, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's no mistake that Brennan Eagles big touchdown against Oklahoma state came off of a play where Jake Smith's motion got him a favorable matchup being able to use Jake Smith, not even during the snap, but pre-snap to get other guys into more favorable positions is positive. It's no accident that both of Brennan Eagle's big catches this year have come in the two games where Jake Smith was playing and healthy and active in the game plan. That there's That's a tiny sample size, and if we were being real good statisticians, we would say that we need more data to really draw conclusions. But as a... As an overreaction, as the theme of the podcast here, I'm saying Brennan Eagle's success is determined by Jake Smith's health. The more Jake Smith can pull attention away from Brennan Eagle's, because otherwise, in terms of just physical ability, like Josh Moore might have the production, but Brennan Eagle's, as a physical specimen, is the next scariest weapon to or that the defense will look at. So if Jake Smith can take that attention away, be the scariest guy, and still able to beat that coverage, that just allows Brennan Eagles the opportunity to run wild. And I'm hoping, again, Jake Smith stays healthy. We see a lot of production out of Jake Smith, and we see a lot more production out of Brennan Eagles. Again, the offense is only going to get better if that's the case. Uh, well, okay, first off, if I'm, I'll be, I'll be positive first. <laughs> I'll be positive first, and I'll say the extra sample size you're talking about for Brennan Eagles, look, just look at last year. When you have a dynamic guy in Devin DuVernay, running around really reliable, fast, good after the catch, can get downfield. Yeah, Brennan Eagles was a lot better playing next to Devin DuVernay because Devin DuVernay was the future guy of the offense. He was one of the leading receivers in the country. Defenses did pay him special attention, and that let Brennan Eagles get one-on-one coverage outside and on all those go routes where Sam loves to just chuck him out there and you know get a one-on-one situation. There's not a safety over the top that's going to come down on Eagles. So, yes, I, I do agree that Jake Smith brings that to the offense and he just he brings something that nobody else on the roster except maybe Whittington who's still a big question mark just because he's played so little except maybe for, for Jay Witt nobody else brings that to the slot position but if we're talking about the offense as a whole I think there are definitely still concerns about our inability to put ourselves in favorable third down situations and then also our ability to convert third downs you know we were I think two of 15 against Oklahoma State just really really bad um, and something that kind of jumped off jumped off the tape to me was the fact that Oklahoma State, a lot of times, they just played man-to-man. They just went man across the board and had a spy on Sam, or like a robber that was you know, effectively a spy on Sam. Somebody, a middle, shallow to, you know, shallow to mid-depth zone in the middle of the field that could track down Sam whenever he tried to run, because a lot of times, Texas, that's how we've been converting our third and sevens, third and eights is with Sam's legs. And Oklahoma State has a good enough secondary where they can say, yeah, we're just going to match up with your receivers and win those battles, and then our rush is going to get home before your receivers have a bunch of time to, to win, you know? So I'm, it takes me back a little bit to the 2017 and early 2018 offense, where back then it was just dropping eight, right? Like teams could just rush three and drop eight, and Sam wouldn't be able to figure that defense out we had no answers uh and then over the course of like the usc and tcu game in 2018 we started throwing a lot of like out routes to little jordan humphrey and that was kind of like the go-to play whenever teams would drop eight and third down 
Uh, and then we were able to get slants to, um, oh, what's his face, the tight end, Andrew Beck. I don't want to disrespect Andrew Beck because I miss that man. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially when we're being subjected to as much Cade Brewer as we've been right. subjected to this season. <laughs> so it's like you have to find some of those money plays with players you can count on that you can go to whenever you need a first down. And we don't have any of that right now. Uh, and at this point they had, you could argue whether they had an off season to figure it out. I mean, they kind of didn't, uh, but we're six games in and we still haven't done that. And until we're able to, there's going to be a definite ceiling on our offense. Yeah. And I, I should be clear as far as me saying Jake Smith and opening it up for Brennan Eagles and everything else is going to make our offense better. I'm not going to, be so bold as to say that that's going to be the fix all, but it certainly doesn't hurt. It it definitely makes things easier for the offense, but as has been the issue with a lot of our offense this year, it's not so much what we're doing, it's how we're doing it, how we're actually executing that's causing these problems. So we still need to go out and, and make the best of, of the opportunity that we have created by having Jake Smith out there. But I think that, again, that... It'll only help the offense. It can't hurt the offense to have Jake Smith out there. We have mentioned the uh, with Jake Smith, talking about Jake Smith, and Sam's sort of rollout there on fourth down for the uh, game-tying touchdown, send it to overtime. I thought that was really interesting, just the sort of the juxtaposition of that touchdown and the similarities that it had with the lack of touchdown on the final play of the game. You had Sam Ellinger having to roll out, find a guy in the end zone, extend the play against Oklahoma State, bringing heavy blitz, maybe a zero blitz. I don't know. I, I didn't go through and actually count numbers out. But yeah, Oklahoma honestly, State heavy blitz, in. two-man rush. A lot of times against our offensive line, you just have no idea. <laughs> Somebody's in the backfield. Right. They had a player on the field. He's chasing Sam. <laughs> Someone is running free through the line. That is That is all that I specifically remember. Sam rolls out. And I, I think that's one of those things, just being the senior compared to the sophomore, that level of experience, I think, was big for Sam. Because we have that play successful, rollout, successful throw, touchdown, send it to overtime. Meanwhile, we do more or less a similar thing. Zero blitz, fourth down in the first overtime. Joseph Osai obviously comes through, makes the sack on Spencer Sanders, who can't find a guy, can't buy enough time. I, I just thought that that juxtaposition of those two plays being so similar and having so wildly different of outcomes was really interesting i i think that there's definitely something there um at least in a symbolic sense you know uh one thing i did notice about that oklahoma state play and i don't i don't know whether this is designed it probably wasn't if we're being honest here but osai got penetration and the reason that spencer sanders had no one to throw the ball to is because Oklahoma State had all their receivers on routes going in the other direction. Um, so I, I think that some of that experience that you mentioned is Spencer Sanders really needed to uh, tuck the ball and find a way to get to his right. Because if you're if the play design is going to go to the right, you can't run to the left. Um, it, it makes it really difficult unless you have some sort of receiver that I guess you expect is going to be looking back for the ball quickly and we'll see you're in trouble. But yeah, Sanders kind of dug himself into a hole there that was really difficult to get out of with Joseph Osai chasing you down. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, Joseph Osai dug him into that hole. It's not like Spencer Sanders was like, I'm just going to run left anyway, and Joseph Osai was there to clean it up. Joseph Osai's very existence on the right side and getting 
around the right tackle so quickly is the reason that Spencer Sanders was running for his life on the right side. Yeah, so, that's true. Joseph Osai dug the hole. Spencer Sanders kind of walked up and looked in, and then Osai just pushed him down there and buried him. Side note, his closing speed was really impressive to me on that play because whenever I saw him in the backfield, my immediate thought was, okay, this is good, like force him out of the pocket. But there's also kind of a thought, Spencer Sanders is fast. Like he's going to be able to reach the sideline. Like I wonder if any of his receivers are going to be able to adjust. But Sanders got like six steps, and then Osai was able to catch up. So, yeah, just we've kind of given a shout-out to Osai, and he probably deserves a lot more time than, than we're giving him. But just a monster game from him. He earned himself a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, that, that closing speed that you were talking about is just that reminder that there's a reason why Todd Orlando was not blitzing him or using him closer to the line constantly last year. And that's because his athleticism was so good that he wanted to use Osai to cover up other holes. Like we had Osai playing like regular will linebacker. We had him playing nickel at times. We had Osai doing basically everything because he's that much of a freak athlete that he can do all of those things. So he's one of those like more obviously bigger guy than an Isaiah Simmons, but Isaiah Simmons for Clemson is a guy where Clemson used him all over the defense. That was, in a different way, sort of the same thing Todd Orlando was doing. Of course, there were just too many holes in our defense last year for that to have really been appreciated when when we had no pass rush, especially seeing Osai go crazy now on these pass rushes. It it makes it all the more concerning why it, it begs some question as to why we weren't doing that last year with Todd Orlando. And that's, like I said, just because... Osai is so good of an athlete, you want to be able to use him to cover up holes elsewhere on the field and hope that you can get that production from the guys that we had. And obviously we couldn't otherwise. Todd Orlando would probably still be here. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure about Todd or- <laughs> Orlando still being here. Uh, just because I, I, think, I think this season has definitely proven that four-man front has been a really good fit for our defense. I... I was not and am still not one of those people that just thinks like a four-man front is inherently better than a three-man front or just the correct way to play football. I think they both have their strengths and weaknesses. But the defensive line has been the strength of this team, really. I, they, I don't know there's much of a debate about the defensive line being our best unit. Like maybe running back you could put in there, um, but I don't think anybody else comes particularly close. And I thought that they, even beyond Osai, it was a little bit better, uh, just more consistent play from the other guys. Um, I noticed a couple things, a couple of wrinkles they started to throw in. Uh, Jacoby Jones lined up a couple times at a, the defensive tackle spot. Um, this is something I know that the the Philadelphia Eagles got a lot of attention a couple of years ago because they started doing that a lot. I think it was the year they won the Super Bowl. Their defense did that a lot where they would move a defensive end on the inside uh, to get extra pass rush, and that was pretty successful for Jones. He seems to be kind of emerging as a like a really solid piece for us. So, yeah, all that to say – I am more than happy with the switch. I was somebody that didn't know that it would, if it would make a huge difference for us in six games in. I think I can kind of say, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been big. <laughs> um, and before we stop talking about Oklahoma State, I think there's two other players that I want to highlight, both for performances as special teams players. Obviously, Deshaun Jameson, that big kick return. I did ask on Twitter, I think I asked on Twitter, I'd like to see some data as far as the conversion rate, uh, touchdowns scored on cleanly fielded kickoffs and punts versus the <laughs> touchdown rate on muffed f- kickoffs and punts, because it feels like 
I don't know if it was just from Deshaun Jackson doing the like miracle at the new Meadowlands a few years back in the NFL, but it seems like this happens a lot. Someone drops, muffs a punt or something like that, picks it up and manages to navigate their way around the defense. Hey man, it's that, sure. it's that extra tenth of a second that you get. You keep your eyes yeah, downfield rather than locating the ball, and that's a huge advantage. Yeah, you get the you get the coverage team thinking about the ball and they start maybe they the lanes collapse or something i don't know but i it just feels like that happens a lot you you drop the ball and suddenly the entire field is wide open i don't know if he needs to do that every single time but yeah i, I, I thought that was funny the other guy i want to give a shout out to ryan buschewski i think had his best game as the punter at texas i think a lot of us were sort of waiting especially for that last punt that we had the last real one not not the one where he got taken out and extended the drive for us but i think a lot of us were expecting to this point it was like big punt big punt good placement not out kicking the coverage i think everyone sort of held their breath there like oh shit this is when the shank shows up we're at our own like 35 yard line this is where the 17 yard punt out of bounds comes in and how we lose the game and he didn't do that he was i'm not gonna give him props like dicko level but he was reliable on every single punt didn't have a shank good coverage did everything right nothing was close to getting blocked it was yeah definitely ryan buschewski's best game and it was good to see some stability at least for a game out of him Mm -hmm. yeah and his his line play the protection unit was a lot improved you know as a punter unless you're michael dixon a lot of times it's just like hey i came out and did my job and nobody noticed because i did a good job and so i i I think there's definitely some props deserved there. Um, I'll give some to Dicker as well. You know, made his kicks. A couple of them were really close, a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, but then, like, after the game, it, there were pictures of the Oklahoma State scoreboard where they were putting, like, yellow lines up on there to try to confuse him. But it, it didn't quite work because he's Dicker the kicker. Yeah, it's it's funny how obviously, like, bullshit and unsportsmanlike that move is. And knowing that because Oklahoma State did it, to texas everyone in the country just thought it was fucking hilarious whereas if we did anything even remotely like that people would have been losing their goddamn minds about how unfair it was that texas was doing that one of those things that just sort of obviously would get under your skin if you weren't at this point so used to the just stupid like dual standard that exists for texas and texas's opponents Mm -hmm. we are truly the victims of the college football world. And I'm glad and that that's people are starting to recognize that. And that's without us even getting into bitching about the refs, because I think there's a lot of legitimate gripes to have about what happened the first three and a half quarters of that game. And then Oklahoma State can have a few legitimate gripes about the back half of the fourth quarter in overtime. So yeah. I don't even want to get into that. It was definitely frustrating it felt like it was one of those things where you know anytime big play what do you know yellow is on the field somewhere but right i i feel like the refs for the most part kind of evened out over the course of the game okay Um, yeah that is probably the hottest take we've ever had on this show well (laughs) well I, i just okay i'll put it this way i i think that oklahoma state fans are able to walk away from the game and say yeah the refs screwed us but like really it was the four turnovers were the reason we lost. And I think if we had lost, we would have walked away saying, yeah, the the refs gave us some bad calls, but really the offense averaging less than four yards per play is the reason we lost. Right. Like, like, I mean, of course you average more than four yards of play if they stop throwing flags on all your 15 yard plays. 
stop committing penalties on all your 15 yard plays and I don't know. Whatever. We don't have to get too much into the rough ball game. I think ultimately the lesson to be learned here is that we should just blame Derek Kerstetter for all 13 penalties that we had. Probably. That's senior captain Derek Kerstetter. And in that case, we know that all 13 penalties would have just been the result of him trying too hard and caring too much about this team. And that means that there are no flaws. I think I think Tom Herman said that two games did not make a pattern, but three games did. Kerstetter definitely had at least one stupid penalty. <laughs> And the snap. That makes the phantom snap. That makes three. That is three games in a row, Herman. There's a pattern. Fix Kerstetter. Do something because we can't keep doing this and dealing with the guy who's supposed to anchor the line effectively. He's supposed to be the, the guy who's mentally most there. That is the job of the center is to be the smartest guy in the room, basically. And he's the one committing all the dumb fucking penalties. Yeah. And we've run... We've run like three snaps under center in Sam's entire career. I know we've done it once this season, but we couldn't have done it more than three times this year. And anytime we do it, it's like close yardage situations or like on the goal line. And then like on a random play from, I think it was a third down, like on our own 20, Kerstetter snaps the ball. And I I don't know what that was where he just like left it there. I don't think that it was, I don't think he thought that we were under center. I just have no idea, but I kind of laughed when the announcers were like, yeah, sometimes you just, you don't know if your quarterback's there or not. You can't feel their hand. And I was like, I don't know if that makes it better or worse (laughs) if he thought that Sam was behind him, but. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that, we beat Oklahoma State. Next up, got West Virginia back home at DKR. Uh, What's it? 11 a.m. ABC. So continuing this theme of us not playing in the dark which is good or bad depending on who you are. But big game, and in typical Tom Herman fashion, we come into this game ranked against an unranked team that theoretically on paper it feels like we should handily beat, especially coming off of a a win over the number six team in the country. Much like how Oklahoma State felt like this is prime Herman time, we're going to win this one, this feels like this is prime Herman time, we're going to blow this one. And, I mean, in the preseason on our preview episode, I picked uh, West Virginia to beat us even whenever I thought we were going to be good. <laughs> so I, I think that this has all the makings of a down game for this Texas team. Um, you can check the tape if you don't believe the man. It's it's there. Yeah, they were, they were my sleeper team. I, I still think that West Virginia, um, like, it's a game we should win. I don't think there's any question about that. Like, we have more talent. We should go in and we should win at home, you know. But if you're talking about teams that are worse than us that match up well against us, West Virginia is probably one of those teams. You know, Neil Brown likes to run up-tempo offense that has motion and puts guys in conflict. And so our linebackers seem to be doing better against that type of stuff, but they're still not super consistent about it. The Stills brothers are just going to eat our offensive line's lunch. It's I Angelo struggled a lot last year. And I don't believe that he's an improved player to the point where he's going to be much better in this matchup this year. Um, And the running scheme seemingly hasn't changed much since last year. So I don't think that Herman is in a spot where he's going to change anything from last year. So, yeah, I I don't expect us to run the ball particularly well against West Virginia. And that could be really bad for us. And there's also no Austin Kendall to throw us four interceptions. But there is a Jarrett Dagey 
who is thankfully not a mobile quarterback. So this could be an opportunity for uh, Joseph Osai to feast. He's not going to have to chase a guy around the field. You know where that guy is going to be on every single snap. So go get quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if just unleash the beast, maybe Osai can take over the game. Um, I certainly wouldn't discount that. And I, I actually kind of... I don't know if I'm doing a score prediction, which I, I'm not. I haven't prepared anything for that, but I could see it being kind of a a really weird game where the offense has kind of moved the ball, but neither puts up a lot of points, and you see kind of dueling individual defensive players, which you don't really get to see that much in college football. So that that would be pretty cool. And I I think I saw a stat, and I hope I'm not just totally off base here, but I think I saw a stat that coming into last week. Oklahoma State was the number one scoring defense in the conference, and now West Virginia is like the number one total defense in the conference, um, just by yardage, which isn't really a good metric for judging a defense. But putting that aside, um, it doesn't seem like they're slouches. Yeah, I, but I think the thing that will help us, you, I mean, you've already mentioned the Stills brothers are going to eat the offensive line. I think the thing that helps us is that Oklahoma State, outside of possibly Iowa State, has the best secondary that we are going to face all year. So that gives us more room as far as the passing game, hopefully the quick passing game. Again, Jake Smith getting him involved. I think that's all very valuable. I, I'm not going re- quite ready to give up uh, because those raw defense numbers don't necessarily mean anything, especially when their secondary has not been tested. Uh, you obviously, Skylar Thompson was already out by the time they played Kansas State last week, so you had a very limited Will Howard, the backup QB for Kansas State. Uh, didn't have to worry about his arm all that much, so your defensive line was able to eat the run game alive there. Uh, they've already played Kansas, if I'm not mistaken. I believe they've played Baylor as well. So to this point, there have been a lot of weak teams that West Virginia has played, so it's going to be interesting to get a good read on exactly exactly how good this West Virginia offense is because the they I mean they did play Texas Tech and smother them pretty well but otherwise I mean West Virginia hasn't the big offenses which are I guess technically by points per game <laughs> us and Oklahoma right. I was about to say well, one of those is us um and yeah I did look it up they do have the best yards per game allowed in the Big 12 and it's actually by a fairly sizable margin they're only allowing 256 yards per game which I, I think that's impressive give even you know with the, the poor scheduling for them so far uh that, that's a pretty good mark but yeah it, it, this will just speaking more generally about the big 12 this is probably a good barometer game um because we're both at four and two uh they've beaten kansas state so it's like is west virginia good or is texas good or is kansas state good or is anybody in the big 12 good <laughs> we don't really know um and Survey seems to be trending towards no, no one in the Big 12 is good. Yes, yeah, that's the likely answer. (laughs) Um, But I think that either us or West Virginia being able to get the win this weekend would actually be good for showing some momentum as we kind of head towards the end of the season and as teams are vying for uh, a conference championship berth. Definitely. I I, I think this is, I mean, every week from this point out, as far as Tom Herman's tenure, this is going to be an important game for him. I think at this point, more or less everyone agrees, the only thing that possibly rescues Tom Herman is a Big 12 title game berth and win. So basically, the, the thing he needs to prove here is that he can come off of a big win, 
not have a letdown game. On paper, this is a game we should dominate. However, with how unsteady this team is, especially on offense, this is going to be a close game. It just will be. Uh, I think the spread is about a touchdown, as usual, with these sorts of games for Texas. Definitely take the underdog and the points, uh, because it'll probably end up being close. But at this point, I think Tom Herman really needs to just look at every game. Don't worry about style points. Don't do anything else. Just survive in advance. That's all it is. Wow. Tom Herman just that that was like <laughs> okay Tom Herman loves to hear you say that and he's glad that somebody finally agrees with him with just play it safe and win <laughs> I I'm, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's what I want to see I would love to see us put out a dominant game but knowing Herman knowing what he does the key is not to play it safe the key is to actually survive playing it safe to the point that we lose is not playing it safe that's just being fucking stupid you need to do enough to win you just need just win the game we're not going to the playoff this year there's no like disillusionment about us making the playoff and playing for a national title and it all comes together at some point this year that's not where we are just get to the big 12 title game whatever that takes if it's a if it's what four more one point wins that's what it is if it's four more overtime games i think most of longhorn nation will be dead from the stress the blood pressure issues the heart issues cardiac arrest everything uh most of us will be dead everyone else who didn't die from those reasons will probably die from covid this winter anyway but that that's what the focus needs to be he just just win the game just get to the big 12 title game find a way to win that I'd love style points, but I'm not expecting style yeah, points. And Just do enough. You can't get fired if you kill everybody that has any kind of stake in Texas football. If if Red McCombs dies because we go into triple overtime against West Virginia and win, then, you know, Herman might hold on to his job. He Just take out donors one by one. They have weak hearts at this point. They There's... Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that's the game. Maybe that is that's what he's going for. If we play in overtime this many times, there's a chance that enough of these important donors just drop dead that we can't afford the buyout and can't get the coach that we're after. Yeah, and that is certainly one route to go uh, to save your job. Um, you know, you could just win out, but winning is hard. So killing all the donors might just be the, the more realistic option here. Or, I think, as we've seen so far this week, we come up with another option, and that is, at halftime, regardless of what the score is of each game, just claim that you've won. Any points that are scored by your opponent after halftime are illegitimate points. Claim that all the games are being stolen from you, and just show up in Dallas for the Big 12 title game on December 19th or whatever. Just, just do that. This is very true. And I don't know why we haven't thought of this beforehand with all of our struggles in the third quarter, because clearly that's the result of a coup against Tom Herman and Texas football. So I, I think that, that you're on to something there. You could solve a lot of our issues. Uh, and, and, and that's Tom the thing with notes. the Big 12. That's the thing with the Big 12. When you're in the Big 12 and you're Texas, they just let you do it. Yeah, well, on that note, <laughs> I think that just about wraps up our West Virginia preview here. 
We're just yeah, before we get ourselves in into it. any more trouble, we <laughs> should probably just sort of draw the line and just end this podcast right here. But thank you to everyone who is still listening to us at this point. Uh, we appreciate the, all the support we've had this year. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at, at the FTH Podcast for more memes and shit posts that we'll have off pod during the game, during the week, everything else. Also, uh, as you may have noticed the past two weeks, we have had no voicemails. That's not because we didn't get any good voicemails. That's because we didn't get any voicemails. So make sure you call us, 512-677-4578, for the Fire Tom Herman Podcast hot take line. Let us know your hot takes. Shoot us some text messages. At this point, we'll do anything. If you have a text message, send us that. Let us know your thoughts about the game, about the Big 12, about... Hell, it doesn't even have to be about text. If you want to talk about... Notre Dame versus Clemson? Hell, hit us with that. We'll talk about that. Be sure to follow Hornscast on your favorite podcasting platform to get all the updates when we post a new episode. We will see you guys next week to talk about what went down at DKR against West Virginia on Saturday. But until then, hook them. <laughs> <laughs>